Welcome, I'm Rose Aguilar, and this is your call. The San Francisco Chronicle ranked the Bay Area Doom Loop as one of the most important stories impacting its readers in 2023. Over the past year, the Doom Loop narrative has received national attention. We do so many shows about the state of the Bay Area. And we always ask, how should we discuss the problems facing the Bay Area, including inequality and the homeless crisis? What will it take to have thoughtful and fact-based debates and conversations about real solutions? We would love to hear from you. What are your thoughts about the national attention that San Francisco and the Bay Area receives? What is happening in your community? We can talk about the problems, the solutions, uh, but also just to have a thoughtful conversation about what we're dealing with. Because as we know, on social media, things can get pretty ugly. So we'd love to hear from you. 866-798-8255. You can also email your call at kalw.org. Also on today's show, we'll get an update on what happened to the unhoused people and homeless encampments that were moved by city officials during the APEC conference in San Francisco in November. We did a show about that. Joining us today are three guests. Tim Redman has been a political and investigative reporter in San Francisco for more than 30 years. Tim is founder of the independent online publication 48 Hills, and he's an instructor at the University of San Francisco, where he teaches journalism, investigative and political reporting, and the economics of social justice. He also served as executive editor of the Bay Guardian. Hi, Tim. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Rose. Always happy to be on your show. Thanks for inviting me. Great to have you, Tim. And are you teaching at USF or SF State? USF, University okay, of Arizona. Great. great. Thank you for joining us. We're also joined by Chrissy Kiefer, Artistic Director of Dance Mission Theater in San Francisco's Mission District. The theater is home to Dance Brigade, a feminist dance company that Chrissy founded in 1984. Chrissy Kiefer's newest performance, Match Girl, opened last week. It's a reimagining of Hans Christian Andersen's fairy tale, The Little Match Girl, and an exploration of the Doom Loop narrative. Chrissy told Mission Local that she sees The Little Match Girl as the victim of poverty, loneliness, and despair. You can see Match Girl this Friday and Saturday at 8 p.m., and again on Sunday at 3 p.m. at the Dance Mission Theater. You can find information at dancemissiontheater.org. Hi, Chrissy. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi. Thank you for having me. Hello, everyone. We're also joined by Alan Cesaro, a food writer and reporter for KQED. He recently wrote a piece about the state of the Bay called What Keith Lee's Sudden Exit from the Bay Area Says About Our Struggles. He writes, I was born in the Bay to immigrant parents, raised in the Bay with hella types of friends, and have seen a lot of SHIT here. But you can't tell me that right now, in 2024, the Bay Area isn't more overpriced, overcrowded, and unlivable than it's been at any other point in my life. Lifetime. Even the food is outrageously expensive. Alan Cesaro is the author of three books, including Notes from the Eastern Span of the Bay Bridge. He's a graduate of June Jordan's Poetry for the People program at UC Berkeley. Hi, Alan. Thank you so much for joining us. Buenos dias. Thanks for having me. Big fan of the show and the oh, station. Thank you. Well, we're a big fan of your work. Your piece really stood out for us. So you all have such a close connection to the Bay Area. You make it a richer place and a special place. Can you first start off by talking about how long you've lived in the Bay Area and, and what it really means to you? Tim, let's start off with you, given that you've been a reporter in San Francisco for more than 30 years. 
Yeah, at this point, it's uh, going on more than 40. Wow. <laughs> I'm getting older. <laughs> I moved to San Francisco in 1982. Um, and I started working at the Bay Guardian in 1983. And I loved San Francisco from the moment I arrived. Um, and I've always loved it. This is a city that has always tried to be welcoming to people who didn't fit in someplace else. Um, but it has, I, you know, I agree, it has become far more expensive and far um, less, there's been far more economic inequality. I mean, the level of economic inequality, which I think personally is the root of all these other problems. I think that the homelessness crisis, the, the, the you know, the thefts, the robberies, all of this is rooted in economic inequality. And that has gotten way, way worse since I arrived. There were always a few rich people in San Francisco. It's a wealthy city. It's always been comparatively an expensive city. But when I arrived in San Francisco, a person who was an artist, a performer, a writer, um, could live in San Francisco and, you know, work part-time in a cafe and spend a lot of time on their art. And all that, those were all of my friends. Mm. Hardly anyone I knew worked a full-time job, much less, you know, 60, 70 hours a week working two jobs just to try to pay the rent because you could do that. And the influx of so many wealthy people to San Francisco and the resulting radical economic inequality has, um, you know, is, is very, very difficult to deal with. There were no homeless people when I arrived in San Francisco, virtually no homeless people in 1982 in San Francisco. Um, why? Because, you, you know, if you were on welfare, you were on um, SSI or general assistance, you got enough money to rent a cheap hotel room. You could do that. Now, the amount of money you get on welfare or SSI hasn't gone up that much, and the price of housing has gone up infinitely. Right? So, um, and, and as I say, I see this, I see the, the, um, the tech boom and the resulting economic inequality that is created in San Francisco as really the root of a lot of our problems. But I would also say that the narrative that San Francisco is a horribly dangerous, crime-ridden place. And when I lived in the Western Edition in 1980, I believe we had something like 200 homicides that year. It's the midst of the crack epidemic. This year, there's been, what, 14 in San Francisco? So you know, the idea that we are a crime-ridden city and a violent city really isn't borne out by the facts. Gosh, Tim, you're reminding me. I remember moving to the Upper Haight in the mid-90s, and I got a room for $300 a month. I think yeah. I was making about twenty four grand a year, and I I don't remember having any financial problems in terms of the bus was so sh was so cheap. You could get a burrito in the mission for three fifty. You could get a drink for such a low price, and I just feel for young people out of college now because you know I I see rooms posted regularly for twelve to fifteen hundred dollars or more. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know the um, the Yimbies will say that's because we didn't. Um, build enough housing or we didn't let developers build enough housing. But I think the, the roots of that are much deeper. It's because there is so much economic inequality because, I mean, the, the difference, I, not to go too far on this, but the Rand Corporation did a study a couple of years ago that basically said, I think this is one of the most important political stories in the decade, that said that if we had the same level of taxation and economic inequality today that we had in 1975, the lower 90% would have an additional $50 trillion. Mm. 50 
trillion dollars is how much the top 10% has essentially stolen from the lower 90% since Ronald Reagan was elected in 1980. And under Republicans and Democrats, nobody restored the high rates of taxation that we used to have on the very rich. And that's gotten just worse and worse. And the tech boom made it even worse. And, and now we have all these billionaires living in San Francisco, more than 60 billionaires living in the city. And there's desperately poor people living on the streets struggling to survive. That's not okay. And that is not something that was part of San Francisco when I moved here. Tim Redmond has been a political and investigative reporter in San Francisco for more than 40 years now. He's the founder of 48 Hills. Chrissy Kiefer started Dance Mission Theater, home to Dance Brigade, that Chrissy founded in 1984, and she has constantly weaved all of these issues into her pieces. Her newest performance, Match Girl, is a fractured fairy tale about class warfare. So Chrissy, what would you add, and can you just talk to us about what the Bay Area means to you? Well, I've been coming uh, and performing in the Bay Area since 1975 when I used to come down from Eugene, Oregon with the Wallflower Order Dance Collective. And we performed at Victoria Theater and ODC. And we then moved to Boston. And then we all moved to the Bay Area in 1983. So I've been a Bay Area aficionado for what I feel like is my entire adult life. And I remember as a child in, you know, a teenager in Cincinnati in the 60s, reading Life magazine and understanding that someday I was going to move to San Francisco because it looked so much like the place that you, you know, people with Free thinkers, free thinkers could live in San Francisco and be supported. And I still believe that part of what is beautiful about the Bay Area is that we are held by overlapping identities and ideologies that are progressive and you don't necessarily get demonized for being a free thinker or being lesbian or gay or trans as the, as you are in other cities across the country. And, um, you know, we were the hotbed in the mission for the um, solidarity movements, for supporting the war, supporting the, you know, the resistance in El Salvador, Nic Nicaragua and Chile. And so all of that, all of the history of the Bay Area is deep inside of me and I carry it with me every day. As far as I agree with Tim completely, I think the inequity um, of who of the confiscated economies by the uber rich the uber rich have confiscated our economies one of the statistics we use in the show is eight families in uh san mateo county hold more wealth than five hundred thousand families eight families hold more wealth than five hundred thousand families combined and this will be the death of democracy this is why we're in so much trouble right now. Just to repeat that, eight families hold more wealth than 500,000? 500,000 families in wow. uh, San Mateo, wherever, Atherton, or wherever they are, wherever those people are hiding out, those people, they have our economy down there. Mm -hmm. You know, and I also feel just briefly that, you know, the way we allowed tech to wash in and take over on every level you know, all the all the parts of the economy, the restaurant economy, the housing, everything, and then leave, you know, just kind of like they pulled a train on San Francisco. Did, did, we did that. We're gone. We're leaving. Hello. Goodbye. You know, uh, you know, 
collapsed the uh, econo economy of this city as well. Right. And we'll talk about that today. So I just found the information about this, about the eight families in Silicon Valley who hold more wealth than 500,000 families. It's the fourth annual Silicon Valley Pain Index published by San Jose State University's Human Rights Institute. And we'll put a link on our website and, and even really do a show about this. Thank you for, for bringing that up today, Chrissy. We're also joined by Alan Cesaro, a food writer and reporter for KQED. Alan, your piece, What Keith Lee's Sudden Exit from the Bay Area Says About Our Struggles, really stood out for us. Yeah, so my parents immigrated from Mexico uh, in the 70s, and I just born and raised in the Bay. Um, everything about the Bay Area, from the music to the sports teams to the political activism to the art to my education as a kid that, you know, really struggled through school because I was living in a predominantly single parent environment. So I went to community college and I didn't take SATs and I wasn't, I wasn't somebody that was um, sort of, I guess, groomed or geared to become a writer or an educator. But due to the caring, thoughtful, diverse, brilliant people of the Bay Area that it took their time to cultivate me and, you know, add me to political groups when I was a teenager and pushed me to to write um, when I was a community college student. And, you know, I, I really give credit to the Bay Area communities, the people here, not the systems, not the political um, talking heads, but the the actual educators, the artists, as Tim was saying. Um, and as Chrissy was saying, those, that's what raised me, right? Um, and being in this region, we have such a high saturation of people like that, that are open-minded and caring and loving and empathetic. Um, and, and I feel like that's been instilled in me, just kind of marinating in these juices my whole life. So I'm very privileged in that sense. Um, but that being said, and having lived in other parts of the country and seen a good amount of the world at this point in my adulthood, when, when I do come back to the Bay Area, um, whether it's from a trip or from living elsewhere for years, it's, it does sadden me to see how so many of my friends have moved out, how you know, uh, my, my own mom has moved out of the Bay Area and, and got priced out of San Francisco over a decade ago. Um, my, my cousin got priced out of San Francisco. My brother is basically got priced out of the inner Bay Area and lives on the outskirts now. And I just have so many friends and family members that aren't really physically around anymore. And it's it's just a reality that I think a lot of us that grew up here can can um sort of empathize with and understand. So I think that's the part that really makes it difficult for me. Um, well, I'm sorry, Ellen, to hear about that, that you lost so many loved ones. It's okay. I mean, like I'm saying, I think there's so many barrier people that I know that this is just our reality. And thankfully, most of them are still alive. They're just not necessarily in the barrier. Um, and as Tim was saying, a lot of it's just the economic disparity and how exorbitant the cost of living here has become from gas prices to rent to food to every imaginable aspect gym memberships like literally every dimension of our life we're paying the highest cost for what i would say is a pretty small gain or yield um and again i'm not alone in this and i think that's why the piece that i wrote i got a flood of emails and dms from people um, text messages of people just saying, I've, I felt so seen and thank you for writing this. And I was, wasn't sure how to articulate it. So I think in that sense, I was speaking for many people. I hope, mm -hmm. um, I know for myself and a lot of people I know in my life. Um, and that's just the reality we're dealing with here in the barrier. Chrissy, 
what Alan has described, I know that you can relate to this because we've had you on so many times talking about how the dancers that work with Dance Mission Theater have had a heck of a time paying rent and making ends meet in the Bay Area. So can you talk about what we lose when people who are so invested in this place have no choice but to leave? And then the small businesses whose families have been here for decades have no choice but to close. Well, a um, couple of things. Most of the dancers that are in this show live in the East Bay. And that's been a phenomena forever just because the real estate is it's so much cheaper to rent over there than it is to rent over here. Um, but I think every time anyone has who is a renter who has to move and has to try and find a place to live in the Bay in San Francisco is really difficult and causes an, a trauma almost trying to figure out, you know, just how far out do you go? I have dancers that drive in, that drove in from Stockton and Fremont. And, you know, that's an untenable situation for how much artists are paid hourly. It's just, it's just not, it's just not going to work. Um, I just want to say um, also that to just acknowledge um, because both um, people spoke about um, Alan and Tim spoke about the artist that Joan Holden from the Mime Troupe just passed and she spearheaded an enormous amount of brilliant theater. The uh, San Francisco Mime Troupe was, you know, a seminal art force in San Francisco. It's why many of us moved here to begin with was because of the commitment that they demonstrated and they dealt directly with class inequities their entire 75 year history at this point. I don't even know what, maybe it's not that much 60 year history. So I just want to acknowledge that um, one of the women that really made the San Francisco what it is, is no longer with us, but her legacy will stay on. And, you know, we will all continue to fight the way the Mime Troop has fought to keep San Francisco, you know, the incredible place that it has been for artists um, in this uh, city. Today we're joined by Tim Redmond, who's been a reporter in San Francisco for more than 40 years. He's founder of 48 Hills, an independent online publication, and an instructor at the University of San Francisco. Chrissy Kiefer is artistic director of Dance Mission Theater in San Francisco's Mission District. I hope you can see Match Girl, which opened last week. It's a reimagining of Hans Christian Andersen's fairy tale, The Little Match Girl, and an exploration of the Doom Loop narrative. You can see Match Girl this Friday and Saturday at 8 p.m. and Sunday at 3 p.m. at Dance Mission Theater. Alan Cesaro is a food writer and reporter for KQED. He recently wrote about the state of the Bay, saying, You cannot tell me that right now the Bay isn't more overpriced, overcrowded, and unlivable than it's been at any other point in my lifetime. And you can join us at 866-798-8255. You can also email your call at kalw.org. And I'm sorry about the problems we're having on today's show. We'll be back after this. This is Your Call. I'm Rose Aguilar. Today, we are talking about the state of the Bay Area and the doom loop narrative that we read about in the national media. We'd love to hear from you. How should we discuss the problems facing the Bay Area? What's happening in your community? What does the Bay Area mean to you? And what will it take to have thoughtful and fact-based discussions and debates about solutions? 
You can give us a call at 866-798-8255. You can also email your call at kalw.org. Today we're joined by Tim Redmond, Chrissy Kiefer, and Ellen Cesaro. Chrissy, why don't we take some time to talk about the dance performance Match Girl. You told Mission Local that you were fueled by the widespread death you saw in the Tenderloin while working on a mural during the height of the pandemic, and particularly the contrast you saw between the city's mobilization to prevent COVID deaths and the lack of attention paid to the body count, the mounting body count from fentanyl. Yes. I did say that because that's what I saw. I mean, it was horrendous. Mm -hmm. It was, I was in the Tenderloin for a year and a half working on this mural project all during COVID. And, you know, I, things completely became, things became completely unglued there. And, um, what was some horrible statistic, 1500, 1800, the 14 doesn't matter. In the hundreds of people died in the two years of the COVID lockdown as of compared to 250 people who died from COVID here. And there was absolute, I don't think there was any effort paid attention down there at all to how terrible things were going. And I think what's so stunning about this whole COVID, about this whole fentanyl thing is this, this crisis is getting worse and worse and worse. It's in every city people are dying in every city and not less people are dying more and more people are dying the drugs are more and more and people are addicted every which way and up and so i feel like we're losing a whole generation of young people who can be activists for you know and have a voice in the future of this country um you know that's not really deeply addressed in our show but i i hold it as um you know a thought form that causes me to continue to do the work that I do. I mean, the numbers are really just shocking. The Chronicle had a piece just a couple days ago about this, and they found that the total number of deaths in 2023 in San Francisco alone was 806. Yeah. Yeah. So in two years, that's 18, that's 1,600 people died of uh, drug, drug overdose, overdose on drugs here. And you also said in that interview that everyone in the show has lost people or knows people who've struggled with addiction. It's very close to home. Yeah, Uh, there's there's people. Yeah, everybody knows somebody who's died from fentanyl. We had a very, very important part of our dance community, which I don't know that it was named as fentanyl, but Robert Henry Johnson was um, found on the streets and was a John Doe in the morgue for three months before people were able to locate him. And this was one of the people that was the artist that we're talking about who set a standard in San Francisco of creativity, genius, and forward thinking ideas. So it's everywhere. It's, it's children of friends. It's it, yeah, it's dancers, children. It's, it's all over the place. It's all over the place. Mm. So one thing we're trying to do is change the stigma, you know, because I actually hear from a lot of, um, forward thinking people, you know, lock them up and put them behind bars. Right. Well, that's that's the other part of this. I mean, Tim, you know, you've covered San Francisco politics and money in politics for many, many years, and you've got so many pieces about the upcoming election. You write that two of the city's leading oligarchs, Ron Conway and Chris Larson, have donated $350,000 to a measure that will undermine police accountability and won't do much to address public safety. You write, in fact, it could have the opposite effect. Can you tell us more about this? 
Yeah, and I'm sorry if I, you had trouble getting me before. We had a, a, where I live. There's a complete power blackout, so I lost connection, and I've got only shaky cell phone service. So I will do my best. Okay, you um, sound great. Thanks. Okay, good. Well, okay, yes. So, um, the we are seeing an attempt at a hostile takeover of San Francisco politics by a small handful of billionaires. Um, we're talking about, you know, that she, uh, Chrissy was talking about the eight families in Silicon Valley. Well, there's about five, five or six people in San Francisco who are very, very wealthy, who seem to have decided that they want to control our local politics completely, and that they don't want anyone in office who might even talk about trying to tax them or regulate their businesses, that this is, um, you know, they, they want the city for them, for the billionaires, and not for the rest of us. And they are putting up their money. And this Proposition E, this thing that they put $350,000, like, why? I mean, it would basically allow the cops to use force without reporting it as often. So in other words, cops can beat people up and not have to go through the paperwork of reporting use of force, which is a problem because we have a very serious problem with racial disparities and use of force in San Francisco. And, I mean, radical racial disparities and use of force by the police. And we only know that because they have to report it. Right. Um, the you know it would allow the police to engage in high speed chases in the narrow streets of San Francisco. It would allow police surveillance, including the use of drones, to surveil people, facial recognition, all this, and then basically they wouldn't need to get approval from the board of supervisors until afterwards. Right. So all, the, 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 none of these things is going to protect public safety. Public safety also includes, for example, the nine one one system, and the fire department, and the paramedics, and public health nurses, and so many things go into public safety, all of which the mayor now wants to cut. The 911 call center is so short-handed now that if you call, you often get put on hold. Right? But meanwhile, we're going to give all this money and all this stuff to the cops. Right? This is really, um, I mean, the, honestly, the reason this is on the ballot and the reason the mayor is doing this is in a desperate attempt to shore up her lagging poll numbers. But what we're seeing here, the important thing is, I mean, property is one thing, but the important thing here is that what we're seeing is a handful of billionaires using their money to try to control San Francisco politics. And, you know, and frankly, that's going to lead to more economic inequality, which, as I said earlier, is the root of all of these problems that we're seeing. In your piece, you ask, why would a couple of tech billionaires be funding a measure addressing police policy in San Francisco? Chris Larson told The Standard that Mayor Breed asked for the money and he gave it because society overcorrected after the murder of George Floyd. What a, what a statement there, Tim. What a statement. Yep. Society overcorrected. Suddenly we're worried about police violence against black people. Right. Um, and, and now we want to go back in the other direction. Um, you know, it's crazy. And, you know, um, they're certainly not living in the parts of San Francisco where the rest of us live. And it's not even clear where these folks live. Um, Chris Larson is registered to vote in San Francisco, but um, in his economic in his, his campaign finance disclosures, he lists an address in Antioch. And then he lists San Francisco, but gives an Antioch zip code. Um, Ron Conway sometimes lists his address as Tiburon and sometimes as San Francisco. I mean, I'm sure these folks all have multiple, multiple houses, but they're not living in the same world that we are. We have a question from Joel, and I'm not sure either any of you stated this this directly, but it is an important question because it does come up. What is the empirical evidence linking big tech or tech booms to San Francisco's disparity and the doom loop? Tim, do you want to take that first? Oh, yeah. No, the empirical evidence is very, very clear. Just look at the numbers. Look at the fact that 
Um, we now have 68 billionaires in San Francisco, almost all of them through the tech or venture capital industries. And we have 8,000 homeless people on the street who can't find a place to live. This is, um, th- this is different than it was 30 years ago. All right. This is something has changed. And what has changed is a huge influx of very big money into San Francisco. The, um, the reason things are so expensive, I, I would argue, the reason housing prices are so expensive in San Francisco and in other big cities is because we have created such economic inequality that some people can afford multi-million dollar homes and other people wind up on the streets. It, um, this is, you know, the, the, the data on this is incontrovertible that over the past 40 years, economic inequality in the United States has increased dramatically, largely because of changes in the tax structure that were approved by Congress and at the state level uh, that have allowed some people to gain massive, massive fortunes and other people to make, you know, billion dollars a year and not pay much taxes on it, which allows them to, uh, the money to spend, you know, $24 on a piece of avocado toast and a million dollars on a house. It, so I, I don't, I, I mean, I, it's, the evidence is pretty incontrovertible that this is what's happened. Alan, in your piece for KQED, what Keith Lee's sudden exit from the Bay Area says about our struggles, and again, we'll talk about Keith Lee, who who he is and, and what happened when he came to the Bay Area. Before we do that, what really strikes you about how young people are responding to all of this in the Bay Area? Of course, there's a wide array of opinions, but what really stands out for you? It's definitely mixed. As I mentioned earlier, I was a high school teacher for over a decade. I taught at the Oakland School for the Arts, which is a lovely community of young, brilliant minds. Um, And I I feel like a lot of the younger people, including my own family members, are a little bit numb to it in some ways because this is kind of the only reality they know. Whereas for somebody of my generation, I remember, you know, when Google didn't exist across the freeway from where I live, you know. So um, I think for some of them, this is their... I think there's a sense of of anger, of course, and rage, um, and that many of them are more aware in some ways of the issues that we're dealing with as a society day to day. Um, but I don't know if they have any way to compare to what it was like before. Um, so I don't know. I guess I, I very much admire young people and their creative thinking, and I often listen to them. And um, you know, they make their their videos that are provocative in ways that. Um, older generations don't always comprehend, <laughs> including myself. Um, but I, I do think that they're they're aware. I just don't know if any of us necessarily know what to do about it yet, besides talking about it. And I just want to, you know, Tim Tim's comments here have been super insightful. Like these are important things that I think I did I didn't know that these things about you know these billionaires and and their their living situations. And I think I think one of the solutions is just sharing more information and. Mm. Um, you know, making, raising awareness around these things, because I can feel it as somebody that's lived here my entire life. And I have seen all of my neighbors change. And I know my neighbors now work for Google and Amazon because they told me, Um, but I don't have like empirical data to prove that, but I I see it every day. Right. So um, I think just hearing all of our narratives and sort of pooling our collective experiences together is is one of the ways to do that and young people are definitely one of one of those voices that we need to hear let's quickly talk about keith lee so mm-hmm. keith lee is a TikTok food influencer who has gone viral he travels around the country reviewing restaurants you write that he's gained such a following that he can completely change a restaurant's fortunes with a single positive mention so his visit to the bay area was highly anticipated but he ended up cutting it short 
And it's the first time he's cut a trip short. Can you tell us more about what happened? Yeah, so admittedly, I, as I stated in the piece, I, I'm a food writer by title, but I'm not one of those people that's just living by food and watching all these. I don't, I don't really follow food influencers for various reasons, including Keith Lee. That said, I do think he's an interesting person because he's a young dude from Detroit. He's a former MMA fighter. Um, he's very vocal about the black community, which I appreciate as a person of color. So I feel like he's a gen he's as genuine as you can find as a quote unquote TikTok food influencer can be, in my opinion. Um, he travels the country. He goes to different small businesses that really have no recognition. Um, and he just brings attention to them and sort of tries to drive business to those locations. He came to the barrier his first stop of the year. Um, and there was a tremendous buzz on my feed, uh, you know, among rappers and artists and different people that I follow. Um, and he ended up after a couple of days um, canceling his trip, which he's never done. And he made a video stating basically that, you know, the Bay Area is not a place for tourism right now, that he was quote unquote shocked by what he saw here and that uh, the, the people of the Bay Area are just trying to quote survive. Um, which I found to be really compelling and sort of out of the norm for some of these, again, quote unquote, influencers on the internet. Um, so it was, a, it was, it caught a lot of attention um, and a lot of barrier people responded, some negatively, some were joking about it. But I, my piece was essentially saying that I think this is what we need to hear as barrier people. Uh, it sometimes takes somebody from an outside perspective who hasn't been sort of conditioned to see homelessness and houselessness as an everyday reality. And when you sort of take somebody that doesn't know that as their reality and put them in our environment, um, they're quote unquote shocked by this, right? So um, yeah, my piece was really just saying that I, I agree with Keith as a, as a lifelong local to the Bay Area. And I think more of us kind of need to admit that we have a lot of issues here because I still have a lot of family members and friends that are like, oh no, well, you know, that that's what, that's what it's like everywhere. And I'm like, no, that's not what it's like everywhere. I've been to Tokyo with the biggest city on the planet. And I saw, I think one homeless person in two weeks, right? Um, in the city, the biggest city in the world. Uh, and I can drive down the street from my house in Mountain View and see five homeless people in Silicon Valley um, within the span of a few blocks, right? Kind of thing. So um, yeah, he just stirred the pot in, in what I think is a provocative and healthy way. You quoted a number of people who reacted. Oakland lyricist Tajai from the Mighty Souls of Mischief chimed in, agreeing with Lee. This is not to be a doomsayer or be negative about the Bay, but I think we've gotten used to some SHIT, y'all. This is not normal. Popular San Francisco artist Stunaman O2 said Keith Lee's synopsis of the Bay was necessary, humbling. Environmentally, the Bay is a shell of itself, overpriced, not as cracking as it has been in the past. And economically, Oakland is being stripped, unfortunately. East Oakland rapper All Black said he was embarrassed. So let's talk about what will it take to bring in the context that is needed, the conversations about inequality. Tim, what are your thoughts about that? Because as you know, the conversations we hear on social media can get very, very ugly. And there's just so much money now in politics and money funding certain campaigns and propositions that affect these issues. I know it's really tough. And also, you know, the local media um, world has shifted. We, you know, the Chronicle is way smaller than it was. The Examiner is a shadow of its former self. It takes, you know, shows like this and, you know, this kind of discussion to get us 
at least get the ball rolling. But I think we need to talk about, I think that the word economic inequality needs to be part of our regular political discussion. Because, you know, it's really easy to say the problem is we didn't build enough housing, or the problem is, um, you know, homeless people are on drugs, or the problem is this or that. Or that. But the, the, the reality is the, there are roots to this. There are, there are reasons why all of this is happening. And, you know, it is not happening all over the world. It is happening in a lot of in the United States. It's not happening all over the world. There are plenty of places in the world where there's no homelessness. Um, and one of the reasons for that is these are places that do not have the level of economic inequality that we have now in the United States. It has to be talked about. When we talk about solutions to this, we have to talk about it in that context. And really, the, you know, there is, there is no solution to the problems that are facing American cities and the San Francisco Bay Area that does not involve the billionaires giving up something. It just doesn't. There is no solution that doesn't involve some form of, of redistribution that takes some wealth and income away from the very, very rich and redistributes it. And, and that's not communism. I mean, we, you know, in the United States, under those radicals, you know, Dwight Eisenhower and Richard Nixon, we had a tax rate of 80 percent on the very, very highest incomes. Right. We had um, a quarter of the a quarter or more of the private sector workforce was unionized. These are these are not crazy ideas, these are, but these are things that we need to actually talk about and understand. There, there will be no solutions to this that don't involve the folks at the top giving up something, voluntarily or not. Chrissy, what would you add? Um, well, you know, just in terms of the housing situation, like I went to look at some of these this housing that's been built, that like 50 Jones Street that was built for single uh, tech people who were going to spend most of their time in Silicon Valley, but could have a pad in San Francisco and they were making enough money, you know, that they could pay $3,000 a month for a very unattractive apartment. And when I went and looked at these apartments, I'm like, how much of this building is filled up? And they're like 50%. And that's true of all these big apartment buildings that got built during tech, they are not full. There's nobody living in them because the housing is super expensive. It's not family oriented at all. And it's, and it's, and you feel like you're getting ripped off. You There's 200 part, 200 parking space wait. There's no parking downtown anywhere. So a very, it's for a very specific type of person and then you look out your window and everybody's shooting up down there so and you're trying to charge three thousand dollars for a very tiny one bedroom like the whole thing was geared towards an idea of what san francisco was going to become which i think was basically kind of a bedroom community for silicon valley and so when you look at what tech did you moved like i lived in the mission my apartment was twelve hundred dollars immediately when the tech boom started the the apartments all around me went up to three thousand dollars a month and they weren't that great apartments at all and tech would come in and they'd stay for you know six months or they're like this is a ripoff and we're going to oakland so you have you have what was what became a very disrupted housing market where people cannot afford to pay $3,000 for a one-bedroom apartment anymore. Those people are gone. I saw statistics said that 32,000 people lost their jobs in tech in the last two years. Mm. So this is the washout. This is the washing in of tech and the washing out. And we're in the in-between state where you have a vapid downtown. You have restaurants closing down. 
walk up Powell Street, there are no shops open. Retail, because everybody's on Zoom, is dead downtown. Mm -hmm. Like this is what, you know, the neighborhoods are are snap. I mean, are snapping. Like the mission is amazing. You know, it is really happening here. But you go anywhere, you know, you go anywhere south of 13th Street and you're and you got like a lot of problems there a lot a lot of problems and that unfortunately becomes the narrative but there is truth in the narrative hmm. you bring up so many important points uh, Tim to Chrissy's point about empty homes uh, Chris writes how much of the housing shortage is due to an influx of foreign money investing in real estate? As an yeah. anecdote, I remember a number of years walking around Pacific Heights after dark and seeing many homes with no lights whatsoever. This was not Friday or Saturday or during the summer. It was a fall weeknight. Where are all those people? So, Tim, Cron has a piece from October of 2022 the city's budget and legislative analyst office revealed that 61,000 homes were vacant in San Francisco in 2021. And you've written about this. Yes. In fact, many of the new, the newer um, condo towers that were built downtown are very sparsely populated because a lot of people bought those purely as investment properties, those, you know, multi-million dollar condos. And a lot of that was money from other countries. People want to find a safe haven to invest their money. And, you know, uh, luxury housing in San Francisco and Manhattan and L.A. and in Vancouver and a few other places became the place where you parked all of that money. So we saw all of this very this big influx of money. There's also a bunch of people who bought fancy luxury high-rise condos in San Francisco who live there two weeks a year. They keep it as a pied de terre for when they want to be in San Francisco. Um, that is not solving the housing crisis that we're facing, and it is very, very common. An awful lot of housing that has been recently built in San Francisco is not occupied by people who make San Francisco their residence full-time, and it's certainly not helping people who are struggling to find a place to live in San Francisco because these are priced at a level that um, no one can afford, that average people can't afford. So I think that's absolutely true. There's an awful lot of vacant units in San Francisco that are either landlords holding them off the market, hoping they can get higher rent for them later, or people just buying them as investment properties and not living in them. And there's, we, we, we've seen this. I have actually walked through some of these downtown towers and knocked on doors and asked people, you know, what is it like living here? What are your neighbors like? And people are saying, I don't have any neighbors. I'm the only one on this floor. You know, there's yeah. 12 apartments on this floor, but there's only, I'm, the, I'm the only one here. Um, the rest of them are either investment properties or pied de terres. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Uh, well, I wish we had more time. We're going to continue doing shows about this. We have about uh, three or four minutes left. So why don't we just get final thoughts from all of you? In, in some cases, I feel like these conversations are so important, but what's going to move the needle so we can actually get action on this and we don't have these homeless numbers increase, the number of people dying from overdoses increase? Alan, what are your thoughts based on what you've been thinking and seeing on social media about these issues? Um, much easier said than done, but just being extremely disciplined and vocal and just being mindful that every time you buy something on Amazon, instead of going to the bookshop that you have to admittedly, you know, probably drive to. And I know it's a hassle, but that that contributes to a lot of these businesses being unable to pay their rent. And, you know, um, we pay a lot of rent as as residents. So imagine these business owners that are paying rent in downtown Oakland and trying to make a living by you know, selling tacos, right? So I I, I personally try my best to, um, you know, that's why I do what I do as a journalist. I came into this profession 
you know, by choice, having been a teacher, I, I made that career transition very mindfully where I wanted to talk to people, learn about what their life is like, learn about what they need um, to, in order to sustain their businesses and talking to small immigrant owned, you know, restaurants and things like that. And just really putting your money where you want it to be, where you want it, where you want something to stay, right? Like yeah. we're, we're complaining about the, all of these things, but then it's like, oh, well, let me go online and just buy something off this website that has no no investment in our local community, has no attachment to our local community, um, couldn't care less what happens to your neighbor or, or to, 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 you know, um, the local businesses here. So um, again, ease, much easier said than done. Um, but I just think staying disciplined and, and sort of, you know, more or less boycotting certain things and just, um, yeah, it, uh, the power of the dollar does say a lot. So um, it, it, that's, it really, that's how I try to do it. It really does. Thank you for that. We'll definitely do a show about these issues. So important. Chrissy, your final thoughts. We have about a minute well, left. You know, I used to describe the Bay Area as San Francisco, Oakland, Berkeley as three unambitious towns tied together by creativity and social justice. And then tech kind of came in and like transformed San Francisco, which kind of rippled out everywhere. And I think it all needs to collapse, which I don't think we're very far from that. And then I think the kind of, you know, uh, the, 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 the bottom up will create something entirely new if something new can, can be created. But I, I don't think we're getting out of this easy. And I think as you see, uh, the amount of homelessness, the environmental degradation, degradation, the number of young people dying from fentanyl, it's almost like they're being murdered. And um, I think we need to hold on to our hats because it's going to be a scary ride. Mm. Tim, what would you add? Listen to this show. Read 48 Hills and other alternative media. Look for, um, look for people who are talking about root causes of some of these problems and not just short-term fixes. We're not going to solve the fentanyl crisis by putting more cops on the streets and arresting more people for using drugs. People don't just wake up in the morning and decide, hey, I'm going to go become a fentanyl addict. Right? Yes. This comes out of poverty and desperation. And yes. unless we can start looking at some of these root causes and talk about what, what, what we can do about these root causes, you know, everything else is just a band-aid. Yeah. Tim Redmond has been a reporter in San Francisco for more than 40 years. He is the founder of 48 Hills and an instructor at the University of San Francisco. Alan Cesaro is a food writer and reporter for KQED. You can find his piece, What Keith Lee's Sudden Exit from the Bay Area Says About Our Struggles, at yourcallradio.org. Chrissy Kiefer is artistic director of Dance Mission Theater in San Francisco's Mission District. Her newest performance, Match Girl, is a reimagining of Hans Christian Andersen's fairy tale, The Little Match Girl and the Exploration of the Doom Loop Narrative. You can see Match Girl this Friday and Saturday at 8 p.m. and Sunday at 3 p.m. at Dance Mission Theater. Find more information, dancemissiontheater.org. They have a number of other amazing performances and dance classes always coming up in the coming months. Tim, Chrissy, and Alan, thank you so much for your work and thank you for joining us. Thank, course, thank you. you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. And if you have any show ideas related to today's discussion, we'd love to hear from you. Your call at KALW.org. Thanks to Savannah Harriman Pote for producing today's show and Kevin Vance for engineering our show. Thanks for joining us. I'm Rose Aguilar. It's your call.